friends. Welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys for another episode. The music that you're hearing is from my good friend, Ryan Allwart, and I've mentioned it the last few episodes, but he's got an album coming out this summer that is all 70s covers, and I've gotten to hear a little bit of it, and it's so good. So make sure you check Ryan out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music. Follow him and make sure that you check out his album as it comes out later this year. All right, I've been looking forward to today's episode for quite some time. My guest this week is Matt Jones, founder of Kentucky Sports Radio and author of the new book, Mitch Please, How Mitch McConnell Sold Out Kentucky and America Too. And look, I don't really try to get political on this podcast, but as most of you guys know, I live in Kentucky. And if you have ever lived in Kentucky or are familiar with the landscape of Kentucky, it's hard to mention the state of Kentucky without also mentioning Matt Jones. And love him or hate him, you have to respect the fact that Matt Jones is one of the most prominent figures, if not the most prominent figure in the state of Kentucky right now. He started a blog back in the mid-2000s just covering Kentucky basketball. And I'm a Hoosier through and through, grew up an Indiana fan, but I can honestly say I have never seen a state wrap itself around a team like Kentucky does, Kentucky basketball. So naturally, he has been able to build this brand to one of the most iconic brands really in the country, in my opinion. And he holds a lot of weight, both in the sports world and also in the political world. He's got a law degree from Duke, and he's an incredibly sharp person, and he's definitely polarizing. There's people in this state that really don't like him, people across the country that really don't like him. A lot of people really do like him, and he's incredibly popular. His book has already become a New York Times bestseller, and it just came out earlier this year. And so we talked about a lot of stuff, particularly the state of Kentucky right now, and obviously about his new book and the reason for why he wrote it and also the process for why he wrote it. I think you're going to really enjoy, if you're into writing at all, how he went about crafting this book. And I just enjoy talking to Matt. I've known Matt since I was in college, and I'm definitely not a UK fan. There have been plenty of times that I've disagreed with Matt, but as I told him, I really have respected the way that he has been able to bring his brand and his website and radio show to what has become a very iconic brand. And it's a brand that he pretty much built from scratch. So within the last couple of years, Matt was considering a run for Senate against Mitch McConnell. And this is a pretty polarizing topic. A lot of people thought maybe he was milking this for attention. So I asked him about it and I really appreciated his answer for why he was considering it and then ultimately why he decided not to run. So I really think that you're gonna enjoy this conversation. We also talked about the decisions that our governor has made here in Kentucky handling the coronavirus. And we also talked about how he's handled it from a faith perspective. And I really enjoyed some of the things that Matt had to say about his own faith and about our governor's faith and just the way that his decisions in the coronavirus has affected the faith community as well. So there's a lot to this conversation. I really think you guys are going to like this. So hope you guys enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Kentucky Sports Radio founder, Matt Jones. Well, Matt, thank you for joining the show. It's uh, nice to catch up to you, catch up with you. How's everything going? Everything's good, you know, trying to uh, trying to get through this just like everybody else. Bored. I got to I got to get out of this house here at some point. Yeah, I guess you're recording all of your radio shows from your house, at least probably have been for the last month or so and probably will for the foreseeable future too, I assume. Yeah, I have. It's it's been uh, well, I was in my, my my dad has been sick, so I was right. down in my hometown with him quite a bit. But it's been, you know, it's difficult to do a radio show when you're not in the same place. I mean, yeah. it's, you can do it, but it's not as good. And so, you know, I, I'm looking forward to being back in the same place with Ryan and Drew. It's, it's it, you know, I, I heard Tony Kornheiser talking about, pardon the interruption, about how when he and Wilbon are in different places – it can still be good. It's just not as good. Yeah. And I sort of agree with that. It's just, you, you can't do it as well when you're in a different place. Yeah. I was listening today uh, to your show and it, I, I guess I didn't even realize, I mean, I guess I knew that you were recording in your own place. I just didn't even think about like how the production of that show works. I mean, how, how hard is it to produce a show and do all the things that you normally would be able to do in a studio whenever you're not in a room together and you don't have the technology that to do it as, as you normally well, would. Shannon does the, the most of the producing. Shannon's actually very good at knowing how to be off site. Cause at least since I started, when I started Hey Kentucky now almost four years ago, 
I, I have to be in Lexington or did most of the time. And so Shannon got used to being the only person away and he sort of knows how to do it. You know, the big difference is, and I see this all the time on television, people still don't get this because, you know, a lot of TV folks have had to learn how to do shows differently because all their hosts are at their house. You have to mention people's names. Like yeah. if the, the problem a lot of these shows have is that they're just free for alls and people talk over each other. You have to like say people's names so that they know when to talk. Yeah. My girlfriend is a producer on CBS this morning. And the first couple of shows they did where the three hosts were in three different houses, they were all talking over each other. And I was like, look, I don't want to get involved because this is a national show. And I was like, just tell them to say the name of the person they want to talk next. Yeah. And they did. And now they actually give me credit for that. And it was the most basic suggestion <laughs> in the world. But for somebody that's done radio, you know how to do that. Right. So a lot of people have had to do something completely different than they've ever done before. Yeah. So Matt, talk to me about your book, Mitch, please. How Mitch McConnell sold out Kentucky and America too. Obviously it's been kind of a polarizing reaction to this book across the state and probably across the country too, but walk me through I me. Mean, how did you get the idea for this book? And uh, what was the, what was the process like? I know that you traveled to, I believe it was every County in Kentucky to write this book. And so just talk me, you know, how did you get the idea? And then uh, what was this process like to, to come up with this book and write it? You know, it's interesting. It's been polarizing only for the people that haven't read it. Uh, the people that have actually read it, I've been, I've been shocked that it was like universally positive. I mean, I guess the very notion of doing a book like this, the people who would hate it won't read it. And so fair enough. But, um, but you know, I, I've been surprised how many people who aren't even liberals or Democrats have liked it, but I have always wanted to write a book, but I didn't really know that anybody would care what I would have to say. So the idea of, I never really pursued it. I almost wrote a book about the 2015 Kentucky team. I was going to do follow that team behind the scenes for a year. And I had worked, kind of talked to Cal Perry about it. And then all of a sudden, like a few weeks before it kind of fell through and all year I was like, if this team goes undefeated and I didn't go, I'm going to be furious. And then when they lost to Wisconsin, it still breaks my heart, but it might've broken my heart even more if they'd gone 40 and 0 and I didn't do it. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so I was in New York and I got a, a email from the head of Simon and Schuster that was like, Hey, would you like to write a book? And I thought, that's weird. I actually assumed somebody was like just messing with me. And I sent it to my agent. My agent was like, yeah, this dude's Jonathan Carp. This is a big dude. You need to take this meeting. So I go and he wanted me to write a book about Mitch McConnell. He had looked me up and seen that I was thinking about running. Hmm. And, but the book he wanted me to write was not really what I wanted to do. He wanted me to sort of just write a takedown of McConnell, kind of like just how awful he was. And I said, look, if I'm going to do something like that, I want to do it my way. And I put the idea of going to all the counties and he went with it. And I thought it would be good. I knew that like in Kentucky, it was very important to me that people of Kentucky liked the book. I could have written a book for a national audience and maybe it would have been popular, but then the people in the state wouldn't have liked it. So I was trying to balance that. And I thought by doing the story of the 120 counties, by talking about my decision and whether or not to run, it would be palatable for the people of Kentucky. Because I think if I had just written a Mitch McConnell hit piece, I just don't think people in Kentucky would care. Yeah. And, and nationally it might've sold even better than this did, but I don't think people in Kentucky would have cared. So I did it this way and I think it worked out. You know, I don't nationally, I think some people are like, Oh, I don't want to read about all these counties, but I think in Kentucky people have really gravitated to it. Well, and also, I mean, if it's a person who isn't from Kentucky reading it, I'm sure learning about the different counties in Kentucky, you, you learned about the history of, of Kentucky. And I think you, to understand Mitch McConnell, you probably got to understand the context of Kentucky and what he represents to the people in the state. So, you know, I mean, I, I feel like it's a, it's a unique approach because I'm, 
I've talked to a lot of authors on this podcast, um, and I always enjoy learning about the process that authors take to write a book because I'm in the process of working on what I hope will become my first book as well. And so I'm always fascinated by just how people get from point A to point B in their stories. And I think for you traveling around to county to county and, and learning and, you know, each county has its own story. Each, you know, so many people in each county have their own stories. So, you know, whenever you, I assume you did, you know, a lot of interviews and talking to a lot of people. I mean, how exhaustive of a process was this? And how did you stay organized with all the information that you were getting? Well, it was hard. I mean, honestly, this probably, we should have probably done this over the course of a year. Yeah. Myself and Chris Tomlin, and we did it in three months. And we didn't realize how crazy that was until it was over. And my editor was like, I just want you all to know, in my 10 years of editing books, this is the most amazing turnaround I've ever seen on a book. Like, he wouldn't say it was the best book, but he said in some ways it was the most impressive that it came about. <laughs> but, you know, they wanted it out. Now, of course, this all seems ridiculous now because we had a uh, coronavirus pandemic that made it to where all of the things we were worried about didn't happen. Yeah. The idea was they really wanted this book to come out before the primary because they wanted me to talk about it. The theory would be if the primary got attention, here's the book and all this. Of course, none of that ended up mattering, but that was what we were thinking. And so, um, you know, we, we went to all 120 counties. We decided in each county, the goal was to, to do three things. Tell a little bit about the county, a little bit about McConnell's effect on the county, and then a little bit about us and our trip. You know, in some of those, we wouldn't do it for all of them, but that was the basic formulation. And uh, so in each county, I'd say in about a third of them, I knew someone that lived there and I would go to them and they would help me figure out what to do. And about a third of them, there were people that for whatever reason, I thought were important to talk to, you know, in Henry County, Wendell Berry is from there. Like, you know, just various places. And there's about a third of them that I had no leads. And so we just showed up and walked on the streets and said, hey, what do you think? Yeah. For the most part, we were able to come up with something. And I actually think doing it like that worked because it allowed me to occasionally just drift into a story that I would have no never found otherwise. And occasionally, you know, I would know this was something I wanted to, I knew I wanted to focus on when I went to Harlan County, the coal miner strike. I knew I wanted to do that. And so through all of them, it sort of allowed me to, the goal was to tell a picture at the end. What has Mitch McConnell's impact on Kentucky been? Mm -hmm. I want to show it and I want to show it all the way around and doing it like this made that helpful. So I think if your goal, there are three things that I think this book does really well. If your goal is to say, what is Mitch McConnell's impact on Kentucky and how does he win here? You can learn that. If your goal is, I would like to learn about the state of Kentucky, teach me about the state, you can do that. Yeah. And I think the third thing is, if you wanna know what it's like to consider running for office in America for a big race, I think it does that too, because I tell that story. So I think those three things it accomplishes really well, and hopefully, you know, it's entertaining and funny, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about, obviously you had a, a, a big interest in running for Senate against Mitch McConnell, and you got you got a lot of different reactions to it because there were some people that thought you know you were doing it for attention a lot of people thought you waited way too long to decide and people just kind of thought you were you know milking the attention all that kind of stuff and then obviously i think business wise you got i mean you, you had different partnerships where you were on different tv shows or whatnot that asked you to step down because of your interest in running that whole process seemed like it was just a crazy time for you i mean obviously i i believe you had genuine interest in running and then people obviously reacted the way they did because we have crazy people on the internet but walk me through i mean just the initial part of getting you don't have to give the whole whole spiel but that's kind of the elevator speech here i mean what what made you want to be interested in running and then how did you kind of arrive at the decision that you know you didn't well, want to you didn't want to fish through people there's no good business or professional reason for me to be a known Democrat in Kentucky with yeah. our family. I mean, I, you know, people say, well, you were thinking about it for attention and blah, blah. I hope people realize that every single moment I was considering running for office or talking about Democratic politics, it ain't good business for me. I mean, I could be the most popular person amongst the Kentucky fan base in this state if I never mentioned politics one time. 
I would be, you know, I say all the time, if I wanted to be governor of this state, if I had been a Republican, I could win. Yeah. Like, I would <laughs> probably win easily. So, I mean, the fact that I wanted to do it like this is because I wanted, it's what I believe in. I mean, I am a progressive. Most Kentucky, I mean, I'm a moderate progressive. I'm right. not as progressive as a, a lot of folks, but I'm more progressive than others. And um, I wanted, I thought Kentucky and still think Kentucky needs to rid itself of Mitch McConnell. And I looked at the landscape and said, to be quite frank with you, this might be sad, but I think it's true. I might have a better chance than anyone else. Now, over the course of doing this, I think Rocky Atkins would have had a good chance too. I didn't really process that initially, but I think that's the case. But at the time, I thought, look, I've probably got the best shot. Mm -hmm. And if I have the best shot, I have to take this seriously. Yeah. And I did. And I, you know, I know people said, oh, there are people who never thought I was even thinking about doing it. And then there are people who genuinely thought I was going to do it and was just using my radio show to stay popular. Neither of those people were right. I mean, I genuinely didn't know. And I think if you read the book, you'll see that. I, I was, I was torn by it. You know, I, if I was seven or eight years older, I probably would have done it. If I was 48 or something, you know, I still, there's a lot of parts that played into it. I'm single and I'm dating someone and the, the effect that it had on her life was, was a big part of it. If I was married, maybe it would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, I do national sports stuff and some of those opportunities are kind of on the precipice of something good. And I'd basically be giving that up forever. If I ever ran against Mitch McConnell, ESPN will never hire me to do, you know, anything. Um, and I also opened a restaurant. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff happening. And then there's the personal of running against Mitch McConnell's a big freaking deal. And I, I think if I had done it, it would have been the second biggest race in America behind the presidential race. I mean, I think, and this is no offense to Amy McGrath, but like, I know how to do media. I know how to be compelling. I know how to be the kind of person that TV cameras want to talk to. And like, I, I think it would have been, honestly, it would have been a circus. And I knew that like, you know, one good thing about Kentucky basketball, it prepares you for a circus because it's always a circus. And I knew it was going to be a circus. And even people around me, I don't think anybody realized how much of a circus that I knew it was going to be. And I just had to decide, like, do I want this circus? Because the thing is, if you're a lawyer and you decide to run for office and you lose, well, you can go back to being a lawyer. And if anything, you might have helped your practice because now you're known, right? Yeah. If you're Amy McGrath, whatever she does after this race, she's now a national figure. She'll be able to have a really good life. If I did this, my career's over, the career I have. Now, maybe I could have had a different career, You know, maybe you run and lose and I'm in politics or I don't know. But the days of being the guy who talks to the state of Kentucky and unifies them under a radio show that's entertaining, like that's gone. I'll never be able to do that again. From then on, I'll be a controversial figure that half the people hate and it's just never going to be the same. And so I had to ask myself, I've spent 15 years of my life building up this dream where I have a radio show where I can do whatever I want. I own a sports bar, which everybody wants to own a bar at some point in their life, right? Like, I I get to host a national NFL show on ESPN. That's all gone, and it ain't coming back. And so the idea of it, 41 years old, just everything you've ever worked for in your life will disappear. That's a great unknown. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose your entire life. And I just, that was, that was what was very difficult. It was not, I had a person tell me, a national political consultant, who was very helpful. She said, nobody ever is less successful for running for Senate. And that's an interesting idea, but 
I might have been the exception to that. Yeah. And that made it harder in a way that I don't think it would have been otherwise. Several things that I, I really appreciate about that. One, I think that you are keenly aware, self-aware of your own standing in the state, which a lot of times people that get to a big platform will try to downplay it. But like, there's no mistaking that, that you are one of the most, if not the most influential voice in Kentucky. And I realized that very quickly whenever I got to school here at Western. And obviously, I'm from Indiana and then moved back to Indiana. And it's, it's hard to explain to people in Indiana or other states because there's not really a comparison. I mean, like, I don't know who I would compare you to in Indiana to say, like, here's who, you know, like I was trying to explain to my brother, like, I'm interviewing Matt Jones this week. And he knows who you are because he's a big Indiana fan and obviously, you know, follows some of your tweets about Indiana, Kentucky and all that. But it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been in Kentucky and around this atmosphere, like, what your influence is. And so I think what you're saying is absolutely right. You, know, you you could win. You probably could have won governor if you would run as a Republican. Um, and, you know, how much of a responsibility, I mean, you take, the, it sounds like you take it very seriously, but you have, I mean, you have a responsibility and you, and you know that, you know what your stature is in the state and you know the influence that you have. And it sounds like, you know, you, you have met, you weighed that decision a lot. I know that that was not the first time that you recorded for a political office. So, I mean, how much of, you know, your, your own personal influence, did you have to, I guess, when did you become aware of what exactly your influence was and how hard has it been to, you know, to. I mean, I, let me just say, look, I think we're, we're good at what we do. I think I'm talented at radio. Like I'm not, but I'm not like, I'm not some mega talent. A lot of things went together to make everything work. I came along on the internet at the exact right time. If I had come along five years before, the internet wasn't ready for getting really popular. Five years later, it would have been too late. But like 05, 06, when I started, blogs were starting to take off and I was there for the ride, right? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, 08, 09, I started doing a podcast. Right as podcasts became a thing. Before that, they really were nothing. Right as people started going, oh, podcast, there I was for podcast. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, statewide network of radio shows. All of a sudden, that like Cal shows up. If Cal's not there and it's Tubby, I don't know if it works. Yeah. I, we go on, KSR, the radio show starts right after John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins leave. When Kentucky basketball is at a fever pitch, I start a statewide radio show. So like all these things, some of it was foresight, but a lot of it was luck. Like it was just like right place, right time. And then I'm very blessed in the sense that I grew up in a small town. I understand rural Kentucky. I understand the way they think. I understand what they're like, but I lived in Lexington. I lived in Louisville. So I understand the state I'm not going to say I'm the only person that does, but in a way, a lot of people don't. A lot of right. people in rural areas don't understand Louisville. A lot of people in Louisville don't understand rural areas. I've lived in Louisville, Lexington, and Appalachia. How many people have done that? Not a lot. So in order to do a statewide radio show, I know what works in Louisville, but I also know what works in Madisonville, what works in Pikeville, and I know how to kind of balance all that in a way that's palpable for people. So. That helps. And then I think what has happened is as we become more polarized, and I think a lot of that's political, but a lot of it's also just cultural. Like people, people have so many options now that they can gravitate to anything. Like, like they can listen to Alex Jones or they can listen to part of my take and they can listen to anything in between. Yeah. It is very rare to find something that a college student can listen to and still think is cool enough to listen to, but their grandparents aren't offended by it. Right. And this sounds weird, but because my entire life, I've really wanted to please my mother. I've never wanted to do something that would embarrass her. Yeah. Or that would offend her. So I know just how far you can push the envelope before you lose the average person. 
So like I, I always talk to my buddies on part of my take and we talk about our different, and I say, one of the things I envy about them is they can do whatever the hell they want because the country is so big. If somebody doesn't like it, they'll just yeah. find somebody else who can. Yeah. It's not like that in Kentucky. Like I got to get everybody. I got to have college students who don't think I'm too lame. And yet I still got to get their grandparents to kind of think, well, I can listen to that guy. Yeah. And I've been for like, for whatever reason, when I got Ryan and I got Drew, it worked. Ryan kind of appeals to the older people. Drew keeps it cool. And I'm kind of in the middle, right? Yeah. And that works. So when you say the impact we have in the state, in my opinion, and I, I, I say this humbly because it's not me, it's just what's happened. KSR, the website, and KSR, the radio show, are the only media outlets in the state, the only one that every person is exposed to, everyone. Some Louisville fans maybe aren't, but that's really it. Pretty much if you live in this state, you are exposed to it. You may not like it, but you're exposed to it. I don't think anything else, there's no TV station like that. Yeah. Newspapers used to be like that, but they're not anymore. We're the only ones. Yeah. And so I appreciate that because honestly, man, in a world where there's nothing that really unifies us anymore, we kind of do. Now, that doesn't mean everybody likes me. A lot of people don't like me, and that's fine. But you know what? They'll still pay attention to what I say. And yeah. that, that power, the day I run for office, that's gone. That won't be there anymore. Then all of a sudden, I'll be looked at differently. Yeah. So people will forever, everything I do, they'll say, well, he's just doing that because he wants to blow it. Like, so to give that up, and I say this, I mean, I, this is going to sound arrogant, but it's true. No one's going to replace this. You can't, if I leave, it's gone, right? Yeah. So that is tough. So I had to be real careful. If I'm ever going to leave this, it's got to be perfect. I mean, I've been offered national shows a lot. ESPN offered me to come and host sports, like not host the real sports, but be on ESPN News and like get through the sports center and all that stuff. And I said, no, because... It wasn't worth it. Yeah. And so leaving this, it's going to have to be perfect one day for me to ever do it. And I'm not sure that'll ever happen. That's, that's really refreshing to hear. I just, you know, you see too many times people jump on stuff that, you know, they're just eager to move up to the next thing. And I mean, you're so like true to your roots in Kentucky and, you know, you're Kentucky through and through. And, and, you know, you can tell how much this state means to you. And this is like my second home state. I mean, I'm living back in Kentucky now. I was obviously born and raised in Indiana and that'll always be my home. But like, even though I'm not a big Kentucky fan, I've always told you, like, I, I've always respected the hell out of what you do because not many people can just start something from the ground up and build it to where you're at. I mean, whenever you started this, did you ever think that it would become no, the, the no, brand that it is? I mean, if you go back, okay. So when I was thinking about running, when I started this, it was just a hobby. It was just like a way for my friends and I to goof off. And when, when I did, when I was thinking about running, they created, like I had to pay people to do opposition research on me where you're basically paying people to dig up dirt on you. Yeah. And when I go back and read what we wrote in 05, 06, 07, I can't believe I wrote that stuff. <laughs> like I was 26 years old and I was, I mean, all the qualities I have now that, some people don't like, they were a lot worse back then. Yeah. And I can't believe I wrote some of that stuff. <laughs> but it was because I never thought anybody would care, right? Like, I mean, yeah. my friend, the turkey hunter, one time did a post. Our most read post for the first three years of the site was he ranked all the women on the Andy Griffith show <laughs> in terms of who he would want to date one through 20. <laughs> like, that's kind of misogynistic, I guess. But we didn't think of it like that. It was like, I mean, Aunt B was on the list, you know? <laughs> but it was because I never, it, this was never like a plan to have a career. It, I, when I thought the moment I realized we could have a career was when Cal got here. And I asked a question at the Cal Perry press conference. And all of a sudden, people started knowing who I was like that. Like, I'd done it for five years, and people read the website, but they didn't know who I was. Like, I never got recognized or anything. And then all of a sudden, I was the guy who had asked that question. Like, it was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this could be like a thing. And then I spent the cow, that year, the cow year, 
with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, they're the most important people to my success. If it was Patrick Patterson was number one, because Patrick Patterson made our website when he committed. But John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins are why I have a career. They liked our site. They kind of thought we were different. They liked me. They liked Drew. And they would, this was pre-Twitter, right? So they would send us behind the scenes pictures of them goofing off at the dorms. And we'd have this stuff nobody else had. Yeah. Nowadays, they just post it on Twitter, right? But it, again, two years later, they posted on Twitter. It was the perfect time. And then it sort of worked. Yeah. But since then, this platform, it's been very important to me to not, I had a realization like three or four years ago. I can't spend the rest of my life talking about 19-year-olds dribbling a basketball. I just yeah. can't do it anymore. Like I, if that's my life, it's not going to be fulfilled. Yeah. And so I decided I'm going to do that. I'm going to do enough of that that people still enjoy it. But when Martin County doesn't have clean water, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. And I'm going to do it in an entertaining way. Like I'm not going to be a sanctimonious celebrity telling people how to live their life, but I'm going to go show the rest of the world, dude, in 2019, there's no water in this community. That's where what I'm the most proud about KSR. We can put something on the radar that wouldn't be on the radar anyway. And on a stupider note, think about the Rick Bozich column yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean this, Rick Bozich's column was awful. And I'm the one that said, look, this is awful. <laughs> it was one of the worst things I've read. But, I, but, oh, but, man. but we put that into the public discussion, right? Yeah. Like all the, So now all of a sudden it's a discussion. I take that very seriously, and that's the kind of thing that I would really miss if I left. The, the, the ability to make positive change through this sort of sports website radio show. So you, you mentioned, like, the clean water stuff, and, and obviously, like, you, you have your Kentucky Sports Radio Twitter account, and I guess you, do you still have, like, it was the Matt Jones Radio Twitter I account? And so, I still use that. The way I look at that is – I, I still use that for like more partisan things. So like I try to never criticize Trump on KY sports. Right? Here's what I've learned. And I can get upset about this, but it doesn't matter. There are some things in life you cannot change. Yeah. There is not one human being on this planet that I'm going to change how they feel about Donald Trump. It's just not happening. People's feelings are ingrained on that. Now on many other things, they'll listen to me. They will listen to me talk about masks. They'll listen to me talk about, you know, taxes. They'll, but when it comes to Donald Trump, I don't care how much they like me, I am not changing their mind. That's why if you read Mitch Please, I don't talk a lot about Trump. Yeah. Because they, it, it's not going to matter what I say. And knowing that, I've tried not to talk about Trump on that KY Sports Radio account because I'm not going to convince anybody. Yeah. So I do that on the, but still, sometimes he drives me up a wall. So I have to say something. Yeah. I go to the Matt Jones radio account because people kind of know, look, don't follow that unless you want to hear that. Stuff. Yeah. Well, what's, what I have found is interesting is you obviously tweet some political stuff from the Kentucky sports radio account, which it is your own account. And you have the ability to tweet whatever you want to tweet from your own account, but you get all these people that try to police your own account and tell you, don't what, what, you know? Stick to sports, all that kind of stuff. Every variation of stick to sports, and I always love your responses because it's just like like I, I, you're always just very witty and like who are these people to tell you like how to how to run your own account? I mean, how did you? I don't want to say learn to deal with trolls, but you know, as as Twitter and Instagram and social media has gotten more popular, obviously people have gotten a lot more uh, vitriolic on on Twitter and other social media platforms. And as you've grown your own brand and, and obviously gotten more involved politically, you're becoming more polarizing to some people. I mean, how, how do you, maybe for some people that don't know how to deal with criticism, you get quite a bit of it every day. What have you learned about, you know, why people are criticizing you and how to deal with it? On the stick to sports stuff, I don't take that personally because here's what those people are really saying. Well, some of them are just being assholes, but but for the most part, what they're saying is, look, Matt, I like you. Don't make me not like you. That's basically what they're saying. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Like, I, 
I get it. I, I don't agree with them. But what I always try to say to them is, look, I don't dislike you because you disagree with me. You can listen to this. I almost want to like pat, pat them on the back and go, you can handle this. I promise you. Like, this isn't that bad, really. Like, because a lot of people now have created this bubble where they don't know anyone that thinks differently than them. And because of that, it's my belief, this is another role I think we can have in this state. I think what's happened, and liberals are as guilty of this as conservatives are, we live in a bubble where we don't know anyone that really thinks differently than us. And because of that, it's easy to demonize other people because you don't know. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone that was gay, or at least I didn't think I did. And then all of a sudden I got to college and I was in a fraternity that had a lot of gay people. And I realized like, I mean, they're human, they're not they're no different than I am, they're human beings. But before I wasn't, like I didn't discriminate, I just thought it was weird because I didn't know anybody like that. Yeah. The moment I knew somebody like it, it was completely different. And, and I think for a lot of people, they don't know outspoken progressives. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't progressives that live where they are. They are everywhere. But those people have gotten quiet or they don't talk about it. What I can be for a lot of people is they're one Democrat. So people say to me all the time, especially in the rural parts of the state, Matt, you're not really a Democrat. Like, you don't really. <laughs> You don't really, you're not, because in their minds, Democrat is AOC, it's Chuck Schumer, it's Nancy Pelosi. They just don't think there can be a Democrat that likes NASCAR and pro wrestling. Like, how yeah. could you do that? And I try to show them, no, you can. And as a matter of fact, I even go farther. You and I kind of think the same things. You just like Trump and I don't. But when it comes to thinking we're getting screwed by corporations, we agree. Yeah. And that's the key thing that I think national Democrats have really screwed up. I mean, really screwed up. Yeah. They spend too much time demonizing people and not talking about issues. And they think they are not going to change anybody's mind on Trump. The only people I know that have changed their mind on Trump have done it because they just came to the realization themselves. Nobody yelling at them is going to do anything. Yeah. It's much better to go, Matt Bevin's a perfect example of this. Matt Bevin was popular for a while. He had 60% approval in his first year. What I tried to show is, put Matt Bevin being a jerk aside. Look at what he's doing and the effect it is having on your life. And you know what? He ended up losing a race where Republicans voted 60-40 for other Republican candidates, and he still lost. And that was because people realized, you know what? He's not helping me. Yeah. Democrats got to go back to that stuff because the reality is Republicans like Trump, they like them more than they like you. So you've just got to find another way to talk to them. And that's what I try to do. And the reason I think I maybe could have won, although I may not have, because with Trump on the ballot, it was going to be really hard. Yeah. Is... I don't talk down to those people. I respect them. I like them. In the social world, I like hanging out with them more than I do most Democrats. I don't think a lot of Democrats are like me. They live in their own bubble. They talk to people who think exactly the way they do, and they don't know any Trump supporters. The only Trump supporters they know are the ones they see on Twitter, and they make fun of them. And I just don't think that's how you convince people to come to your side. So you, that, that, that's, that's, that's all great stuff. And I totally agree. Like you just can't, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to convince somebody unless they want to do it themselves. And you know, you, you've gotten a chance to have governor Bashir on your show at least a couple times. What have, what has been your opinion of how he's handled the coronavirus situation? It seems like most people have been very happy. Um, I think the, the one time that I really started to hear an opinion shift was when he said he, you know, the health department was going to record, license plate numbers of people at large gatherings on Easter weekend. You know, there was a lot of people that were up in arms over that. And, but I mean, aside from that, and even especially before that, I mean, his approval, at least from my perspective, who's I'm not somebody who's super involved politically, but it seems like he's been very well received and you know, you've got a chance to talk to him on your show and probably, you know, are more in tune with this situation than most. I mean, what's, what's your opinion been of how he's handled all this? He's done a really good job. Uh, I think he's made one mistake, and it was exactly what you said. I think you really screwed that up. I think, you know, 
what happened in the early days, he had like 90% approval, but there were still people who wanted to not like him. They were just waiting for a reason, yeah. right? And he gave them that reason with that. And that was a mistake. Like, was it, what I would have said to him, is it really worth taking these people's license plates? It's one church. You know, one of the things we've seen, Daniel Cameron, who I have been disappointed in, and I like, I like Daniel Cameron. I, I think he's a very impressive young man, but he's politicized this too much. And that disappoints me because we, we are friendly and, and we talked a lot in the early days and I didn't think he was going to do that. And then he did. But nevertheless, he filed a lawsuit and they decided to open the churches 10 days ago. And what was interesting is most of them didn't open. Yeah. Like almost none of them opened. Ours did not open. Ours is opening this couple, uh, the 21st. So this is going to publish on a Monday. So I guess technically if you're listening to this yesterday, our church opened for the first time. Yeah. I mean, when they announced it, they were like, we're not opening for another two weeks. And and that, but what that says is most people bought into what he said. So don't focus on the one group of people that don't. You know, yeah. because I think by doing that, people sort of went like, oh, now, wait a minute. Are we getting a little – so he messed that up. I, You know, it's interesting. He talks in a way I wouldn't talk, like the whole, we're in this together. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> do that. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of people that really like that. Yeah. I mean, I, my parents are both Republicans, pretty consistent Republicans. I'm not going to say never vote for a Democrat. They're pretty Republican. They love it. And they watch that thing at five o'clock every day. Yeah. And even when I roll my eyes about it, they're like, shh, we're watching. <laughs> so, you know, I think he, what I think he's done a really good job of is he has kept the politics out of it. Yeah. There are some people who will never be okay with the fact about the abortion clinics. And I respect that. Listen, I said, you don't talk to people about Trump. I don't talk about abortion. Yeah. Abortion is something that people, whatever side they come on, they come on having spent a lot of time thinking about it. Everyone understands the issue. They're not going to tell something people don't know. Like everyone understands the issue. So I stay out of it and I respect the pro-life people. I do. I think they come at it, not all, but the vast majority come at it very genuine. They genuinely believe that these are babies and that this is wrong. I genuinely respect the pro-choice people who genuinely believe this is a woman's body. They should be able to do what they want. My name's Bennett and I ain't in it when yeah. it comes to that. <laughs> With that said, there are going to be some people who, because that's so serious, the day he didn't close those clinics, which a court, if he had closed them, a court would have made him open them back up. Yeah. He was never going to win those people ever again. And yet, he still does what he thinks is right. That's not easy to do, man. And I say this, you know, liberals are crushing the governor of Georgia and the governor of Florida. I give all 50 of these governors a lot of leeway, man. The, the, the pressure of having to decide when to open an economy, when, when it's closed, people's businesses are being ruined, but when you open, people might die. Like the pressure is so much, I just give them all a lot of leeway. Unless you think the person doing it is just a scoundrel, they all don't want people to, nobody wants people to die. Yeah. No, no one wants people's businesses to go bankrupt. Nobody wants that. So I give Bashir a lot of leeway, with the exception of the taking the license plates at the church, I think he's done a really good job. I give him credit. And he wasn't my candidate. Like, of the three people in the Democratic primary, he was my third choice. Really? <laughs> but I think he has done a very good job. Yeah, and I've been really impressed with him. When people have asked him directly about Trump and things that Trump has said or done, he always responds, you know, basically saying, like, look, my focus is Kentucky. My focus is making sure the people of Kentucky are, are you know, he never really wants to get into, like, the, the – because he ain't going to convince him not to like Trump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, yeah. You're smart enough to know on a battle of Bashir versus Trump, Trump's winning. Yeah. And honestly, Trump's winning over anybody. And I will say this, man, I don't get it. I don't get it. Neither. <laughs> you know, where I was, I used to say all the time when I was growing up, say whatever you want about the people of Eastern Kentucky, they can spot phonies better than anyone on earth. And I still believe that. Man, some of them got a blind spot when it comes to Trump. 
I, 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 I am shocked the way people where I grew up, religious people, I can't believe how much religious people go with him. But you know what? We all have our, we all have our things. You know, there's people that I like that I sometimes go, man, I can't, like I'll give you an example. Hank Williams Jr. has done a lot of bad stuff. He said a lot of things that are not good. Yeah. He walks around with a Confederate flag behind him. Man, I love his music. And when Hank Jr. plays, if he was playing out there, I'd go see him probably. Like, I just kind of have a blind spot. Yeah. But the Hank Jr., I think a lot of people are like that with Trump. You, you know, I've been, you know, this is, this is primarily a, a Christian podcast. And, and, I, and I talked to a lot of people in the faith communities and I've talked to my pastor and we were talking about like, he had a, he had, we had, a, we did a large group Bible study and we were talking about politics and he was saying like, you know, how people, um, you know, basically have to decide who they vote for. And I'm thinking like, I just don't understand how somebody can, can represent themselves as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a representative of the Christian faith but align themselves as somebody that, that treats people so, so horribly. And I, 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 I personally, and people will say he, he stands up for, you know, the, the biblical principles, he stands up for all that. And look, he says the right things sometimes along those lines, but I don't believe a word he says about it. Like, I, I don't believe, I don't believe that he truly is the Christian that he claims to be. Like, I just don't. He said two Corinthians. He said two Corinthians. And they asked him, like, what is your favorite book of the Bible? Old Testament or question ever. He never answers the Bible. He never because he doesn't have one. He's like, he's like, I just like a lot of parts. There's a lot of parts of faith. There's a lot of parts of Christianity. And I fully understand the people who believe. And I get this a lot. Matt, how can you be a Democrat and be a Christian? and there are people who say you can't be a Christian and be pro-choice. I'm not going to argue with people. I, I understand why you come to that conclusion. But if you're going to say that, how can you believe some of the things he does are Christian? How can you believe that locking children up at the border and being in cages at the border is Christian? There's nothing Christian about it. Now, you might think it's good immigration policy, but that's not Christianity. That's not Religion is not politics. And when people try to justify, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar, no, in no part of the Bible were they saying it's okay to be terrible to your fellow man because yeah. of politics. I mean, nobody, that is not Christianity. So look, a Christian can reasonably say, I don't like Trump. I don't like Biden. I'm choosing Trump. I'm okay with that. Here's what I don't think you can say. He's a, he's, he, he stands up for Christianity or he is the leader we should emulate. You yeah. cannot say that. And the Christian leaders that do it are frauds. Yeah. They just are. Now you might still vote for him. I get that. That's a vote for a person is not an endorsement for who they are as a human being. But to do it on the grounds that they're a Christian is saying another thing that I can't get behind. And my stance has been, you know, I've talked to my wife about this because whenever we did this study at our church, the, the, the pastor asked us like, you know, what are your choices? Like, and I was like, well, you could just not vote. And he's like, that's right. And, you know, and I don't, I don't really like the people who say like, if you don't vote, you don't have a right to say anything because you know, and, and like, if, if I, if I look at the two candidates and I can't justify voting for either of them, because you know, if I have certain moral standards that I believe in, I don't like, I didn't vote. I, I think I voted for Gary Johnson in the last election because it was like, I don't want to have my name attached to voting for the other two main candidates. Like, I just didn't want to have my name attached to it. And if I can't reconcile voting for two people, and I don't, like, I don't have to vote. And it's, it's almost the way that I, the way that I, the, the comparison that I drew to my wife was like, say you, you, you get invited to a wedding and you're at the reception, okay? And say that you've got certain food allergies, okay? And the only food options there are foods that you can't eat or otherwise you'll get sick, okay? Nobody can get mad at you for being hungry. Yeah, because you just can't eat what's on the on the table, and I feel like that's how I'm going to feel in this election. Like I just can't agree with what is on the table for the, the the presidential candidates. I don't have to vote. I don't have to eat at that meal, and so, but I can still say that I'm hungry because it's like this is what was offered to me. I wasn't offered good food, so I, that's kind of the the best comparison that I can think of. That like people can relate to that. Like, yeah, okay, you're right. I, I would still feel hungry, and I would 
want to go get something else to eat. It's like, that's kind of how we feel if we don't like what we're, what we're presented in terms of candidates. So I just, you know, from a faith perspective, I, I, I just, I can't understand the, the, the really influential Christian leaders that have aligned themselves to Trump. And it's like, my wife has a graduate degree from Liberty university and I get so irritated every time that Jerry Falwell jr. Is in the news because I'm like, I'm, I'm nervous to tell people that my wife has a degree from Liberty because they know how crazy he is. I mean, I, he basically is like a diet version of Donald Trump. And so I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed with the amount of big time Christian leaders that have, align themselves to him so yeah I'm uh, with you. i think everything you just said is actually very uh very insightful i many years ago in like i don't know in the 90s i heard jesse jackson and i'm not a huge jesse jackson fan but jesse jackson said something i found very interesting on this topic he said when politics and religion become intertwined both suffer and I completely agree with that because the thing is, when you are aligning your religion with a politician, you end up sacrificing the religion. You just do because humans and politicians are fallible. Your relationship and your walk with the Lord should not be. And when you are justifying part of really supporting a politician is justifying what they do. And if you're doing that on a religious basis, you are bending your religious principles for a human being. And in any other scenario, you would know that's wrong. You're supposed to walk with God, not walk with man. Yeah. And yet in politics, especially, it's un say whatever else you want to about Barack Obama, about George W. Bush. Both were Christians, both practiced their faith, and yet, none of them had the allegiance from religious folks like Trump. <laughs> and another, you use Andy Bashir. Andy Bashir is probably the most Christian leader I can think of. He is an elder at his church. Yeah. He teaches Sunday school. Now, that doesn't mean you should support him. You might still not like his policies. Yeah. But people who attack him as some kind of awful person, he's the most Christian leader I know. He, he, I mean, he, he walks his faith much more so than most people I see. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I hate how that's happened because, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I hate it. I want other liberals to learn about Jesus Christ. I want them to feel accepted in the Christian church. And we run those people away because we tell them that Christ's love is not for them if they disagree with us about what the corporate yeah. income tax rate should be. <laughs> and that to me hurts Christianity. I don't think there's any scenario in which God wants us to create party lines yeah. on, on bringing souls to him. And unfortunately I think we've done that. That's a really good way to put it. And, and you know, as I, I've been very impressed with how Andy Bashir has, has led during this from a, from a human perspective, but also from a faith perspective. And, you know, I mean, he's very quick to say, like, we need our faith leaders to be strong community leaders right now. We're relying on you. And it was a very delicate thing to say, we can't be in church buildings. Cause a lot of people read, you know, heard that and said, what, why they can't shut down church. And this is why I was really happy to have my pastor on because I thought he had a really, really good take on this. It basically was like, Look, and this is, any Christian knows this, you don't have to be in a building to yeah. have church. We've been, my wife and I have been watching church online for two months now. We've watched Easter service online, okay? Our church has done the exact same programming that it would do just without people in the building. It's just doing it all on a computer. And thank God that we have things like Zoom and Facebook where we can stream all this. And, you know, I think my, my pastor said it really well. He said, you know, the churches that are, staying open and, and defying what the governor is saying. I, he's like, I, at some point I do believe that, like, that the church can have autonomy to do what they, what they feel is you know, God is calling them to do. But at, also at the same time, at this point it's borderline irresponsible because it's the last thing that a church needs right now is to be tied to a major outbreak of coronavirus. And that's I think that's, pro that's probably why a lot of churches are still hesitant to open, even though they're given their green red, the green light, because and I give a lot of churches credit for doing for not opening. Like when where I, I was in Middlesbrough, when 
the court opinion came and I thought to myself, all these churches in Millsboro are going to open. And almost none of them did. And I give them a lot of credit. I think sometimes, and, and we progressives are worse about this, sometimes we just like to paint everybody with a huge brush. And we say, well, that one church in Bullock County opens, these crazy, no, most people stayed closed. And most people, most ministers realize, look, my number one obligation is for, to protect my congregation. And I give them a lot of credit. Okay, so the name, of, the name of the podcast is In No Hurry. Um, and so basically what I always like to ask people at the end of the show is, you know, very simple. Um, and this is unique now that we're kind of in a uh, period where life has slowed down a little bit. Usually I ask this question, like, what do you do to kind of create space in your life to slow down and have fun? Now it's kind of been doing that for you. You know, aside from your radio and stuff that keeps you busy, what do you kind of do to slow your life down? I know that you got a, you, know, you got a girlfriend you talked about. And, um, but whenever your life's crazy, especially right now, what do you kind of do to relax a little bit well i'm not great at that to be honest with you and it's something that i you know you talked about that period of time where i was deciding whether or not to run and i was traveling the state and writing the book and doing the shows and that was i talk about it a lot in the book but like that was a very difficult time in my life i just i, I was not being healthy i was not like doing really anything i wasn't good at slowing down i'm better now but still not where I'd like to be. But what I like to do is probably what you see behind me. I read a lot. I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big reader. I think that uh, when I get into a book, I can sort of take my mind off of things. And, um, you know, I, I, I never thought I would get to write a book, but I've, I've, always want, I've always loved reading them and I like to read a lot of different stuff. So that's really it. And then honestly, you know, I'm, a lot of people will say, Matt, you should have figured this out before you were 41 years old. But like having somebody you love that you can just be completely, you know, yourself with and yeah. not have any pretenses at all helps. What's been difficult is I haven't seen her during this whole quarantine because she lives in New York City and I can't go. So if in a couple of weeks, I'm just saying I'm going. And yeah. I may have to stay there for a month, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. But those two things I think have been very helpful. And, you know, my, spiritual side has grown a lot in the last two years. I mean, I, I prayed a lot as I was deciding what to do. Yeah. And just that gave me a lot of sense of peace. So um, those are kind of the things that have been most, you know, best for me. Well, Matt, this was great. It was really great to catch up with you. And, and obviously I appreciate the work that you're doing for this state. I'm happy to be back in Kentucky um, and, kind of I feel like whenever I was in Indiana I was less in tune with what was happening in Kentucky even though I was just on the other side of the river so happy to be back in Kentucky and it's nice to catch up with you and obviously nice to hear about your book and best of luck to you with everything going forward and, and hope hope you and your girlfriend do well and hope you get to see her soon because <laughs> I know how hard that can be a couple weeks so hopefully she hasn't dumped me by then but yeah. thank you man. appreciate it all right thank you well I really appreciate Matt being willing to go a lot of different directions with that conversation. And I just really appreciated what he had to say about all the different topics that we talked about. So make sure that you give Matt a follow KY sports radio on Twitter, and obviously check out his new book, Mitch, please. I'll have links to everything in the show notes. So if you need to know where to follow him, how to buy the book, check that out as well. If you guys need me at all, you guys can follow me Cole Claiborne on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your preferred social media platform is, give me a follow. I'd love to connect with you guys and hear from you about what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Also, check out my newsletter. Sign up for that. There's a link in the show notes as well. I've been sending those out every week since the start of May. Usually has a devotional in it with the link to the podcast episode each week. And I've been trying to include some book deals in there as well and eventually going to be giving away some free books. So I'd love for you guys to be a part of that. I've been excited to see that the number of subscribers has grown each week. I'd love for you to be a part of that. This episode is the end of season one of this podcast. Next week, I will have an episode. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that I did a live episode on Facebook with Ryan Allwart, who does the music for this show. And I am going to publish that. So you'll have that next week, but I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break in June to focus on my own book that I'm writing. 
and we'll pick back up in July with season two. So thank you guys for listening to all the episodes. I know some of you guys have tuned in here and there. A lot of you guys have tuned in every week, and I just really appreciate you for listening and sharing with your friends and telling people about this podcast. So we'll be back later this summer with even more episodes and another great list of guests. And so I'm really excited about that. Hope you guys will tune back then as well. But I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next week.